Hey guys, you are listening to the Palsies with Palsies podcast. I am the Palsy Rebecca Mitz. And I'm the Palsy Justin Hancock, here from Snowpocalypse, <laughs> Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. How are you doing, Rebecca? Uh, I mean, I'm doing just fine up here in Colorado. Um, because, I mean, we have the <laughs> infrastructure for it, for snow. Um we won't necessarily, unless you want to, we won't necessarily get into all that, but I'm okay. <laughs> How I, are you? I will only say this. We were very, very blessed at our house. We did not lose power. I believe most of that has to do with the fact that we live down the street from UT Southwestern, a pretty major hospital in Dallas. So oh. we've been blessed, but uh, you know, the infrastructure to handle winter who knew you know um but all in all we are we're doing okay it's a nice break to get to kind of spend some time in podcast land for a few minutes especially because i am recording from the warmest room in our house currently which is our bedroom so we've had a lot of uh bed picnics this mm-hmm. week and dinners in the bedroom and you know tv watching in the bedroom and <laughs> block building in the bedroom because uh-huh. this is literally by by 15 or 20 degrees is the warmest room in the house so you do live in a very <laughs> old house so to find the one uh, the one space where the least amount of air is coming through the cracks you're golden I believe our house is something like 124 years old, 1895. I don't exactly know what the math is on that. But yeah, it's a real old house. It's a real old house, yeah. Yeah. And insulation is a a distant (laughs) dream. Yeah, and unfortunately, the upstairs is the warmest spot, as I recall from living up there, which was hell literally in the summer but what a gift in the winter when the heat was turned on so unfortunately for you justin it is not accessible up there because as we said built in 1895 so uh, unless you're willing to crawl up the stairs uh you are stuck kind of finding the the warmest spot downstairs and in case you missed it the name of this show is Alfie's and Palsies, which in my case, fortunately, is not ironic, but rather inconvenient for our current current weather-related scenario. Yes. Well, like I said, Rebecca, I am glad to get a, a podcasting break, and I really, folks... Um, it's been a bit of an up and down week for both of us because most of Rebecca's, uh, you know, work and uh, family connections are still in Texas. Am I correct about that, Rebecca? You are very correct. And uh, all of my work and family connections are in Texas, as am I. So not a lot got done besides just survival on both ends. So we're just honestly turning on the mics, having a conversation today and seeing what occurs today. But I did want to 
bring up one specific topic. Do you mind if I kind of run with something, Rebecca? Take it and go, my man. I want to talk about, I've had a couple of conversations this week that have put me in mind of the uh, outsized amount of pressure faced by those with disabilities who want to be in the workforce. Mm. Uh, but because of the underemployment of those with disabilities as a whole, when we do find jobs and find employment, especially if we have certifications in a certain field or in an area, when we do find employment in those areas, the, the pressure to perform can be so immense that we don't often give ourselves and don't often get the opportunity to operate in sort of the training honeymoon period that can just create a real outsized uh, burden and expectation of pressure on those with disabilities. And that's, that's really come home to me because of a couple of conversations I've had this week where that has happened and where that is currently operating uh, with people that are otherwise very, very qualified for the, in my case, it's these two folks are ministers and they're very, very qualified and very, very gifted but because um, they had to work so hard to get the jobs they now have the pressure is just, it's unreal. So for you, have you felt this, Justin, yourself? I think I would be lying if I said no. I think for me currently, because I work directly and explicitly in the advocacy space, it mm -hmm. comes across much more as I've got to know the solution to your problem. I've got to know, mm -hmm. I've got to identify with you quickly. I've not necessarily a savior complex, but um, just, I need to be in the trenches with you because you need my help. So there's that pressure to always be on and always be available and always be at the top of my game. Um, right. When nobody, no matter how good at their job or how much they love their job, and I'm both very good at my job and I, I love the job I do an awful lot, but nobody is going to be uh, at their best all the time uh, yeah and yes in other scenarios I have felt the pressure to be uh, better than the other guy because people often whether they know it or not kind of give give uh, me or other folks with disabilities the side eye because we're not expected in a lot of rooms Right. Not knowing uh, 
what you're capable of or not expecting you to be capable of certain things or tasks or whatever just because you um, are disabled. For you, what would you say challenges are? Because you mentioned they're both in ministry and you yourself are in ministry. That, of course, is is a bit of a nuanced question, which, of course, you you knew it was when you asked it, and I I know that. But uh, I think it goes both ways. I think in a proper, in a, in the, not proper, proper is not the right word, but in the best case scenario, more grace would be given and more delight would be taken maybe at having somebody with a a diversely embodied experience Mm -hmm. uh, in your ministry setting. Um, But honestly, I think it can be, um, it's kind of a challenge across the board. And what I was thinking about as you were asking the question is the scenario that I ran into in conversations with my colleagues this week, and I won't mention names, of course, uh, but uh, was a scenario that, I'm sorry, a a white, straight, able-bodied, heteronormative white guy is not going to face. Mm -hmm. Because my friend is in a ministry setting where he is not part of a local church, he mm-hmm. travels around um, and does hospice uh, work. That's hard work on its own. Which is hard work on its own, absolutely. And he is absolutely brilliant at it. But this individual is having trouble with the technology used to do most of the record keeping and inputting of the Mm. the visits. And whereas I believe the standard experience of most heteronormative white guys would be to go to your boss or supervisor and say, I know I can do the work. Yeah. The, uh, the visiting, the chaplaincy part of this is not my issue. I'm having an issue with this, this, and this right. part of the technology. Yeah. There would be the ability to slow down and slow yourself down and really right. just ask for what you need. Whereas right. people with disabilities aren't naturally seen as part of the workforce so as i said earlier when we do get the jobs there is a perception of extra pressure and there is the fear that if we slow down and say uh whether it's real or perceived show any vulnerability people are going to say well maybe you're not fit maybe we should just move on which is i think a reason why Um, and I know we talk about a lot on this podcast and most of it is sort of ministry and adjacent or even faith adjacent but this is much more directly tied into what I do but no less important for not being a lot of what we talk about a lot I think that's why 
it is so important for us to work to include all voices in the system mm-hmm. or in the in the societal framework like uh, me as a person with a disability have to be intrinsically concerned and involved in advocacy within boundaries of course for the LGBTQIA community you as a LGBTQIA person Mm-hmm. I, you know, need to have a stake in uh, the advocacy for those with diverse embodiment and so on and so on right. and on to the racial conversations and, you know, yeah, whatever other group you want to refer to, there is no clearer, clearer uh, indication that as the old quote goes, my liberation is bound up with yours. And, Right. I think going along with that, so um, I will speak on, I'll also not use any names, but I do have a friend and um, she uh, has autism and she has tried multiple times with going into the workforce and she has talked about to me before about how she basically lost a job or struggled to keep the one particular job because they did not have the accommodations for her. It wasn't that she couldn't do the job, but it was Mm -hmm. that they expected all these extra things out of her that she couldn't, she couldn't do it in the timeframe because she's like, well, I'm functioning in this way. I can do this work but I need specific things to happen for me to do this well, or you're expecting me to function the way that someone who doesn't have autism functions. So it's not that she's not capable, but there are certain things that they're like, well, you need to do this quicker. And it's like, I don't understand. Like, uh, I, I, I can do it, but don't try and make me do all this extra stuff. And then they, you know, and then when she gets to do something that is, a lot more in line with herself um, then she functions wonderfully in that space, you know? Um, and I think uh. there's that too of like, there's not even space in a lot of workplaces for someone to be different. Like they're like, well, yeah. you just can't do it. It's like, no, they can do it. It's just that you have <laughs> designed this super specific task and they have to do multiple things all at once when if you would just let them do the yeah. one thing that you actually hired them to do and not be, oh, but you also need to do this, this, and this, and this, and this, that we didn't really include on the, <laughs> on the yeah. job description um, in this really super specific time frame. And, you know, what's so interesting about this conversation is when it's what usually happens when the two of us get together and chat be it a podcast or otherwise, mm-hmm. uh, is, you know, we start out with one topic and the two or three side tunnels <laughs> end up being where we uh, really need to go. But I think what you're saying is is absolutely right. It brings into focus this, this concept we've talked about a lot, which is 
the myth of normality and the concept mm. that I spend a lot of my time at work sort of deconstructing is this myth of normality. And um, quick story, when I was a senior in college getting ready to go to grad school, my, um, my testing for dyslexia and learning accommodations was up. Like I hadn't mm-hmm. been tested since high school. I needed to get retested to go to graduate school. Mm-hmm. So I sat there for hours. And what they do is they give you like, here's a, a shape made out of this many blue squares and this many green squares on this card. Okay. And here are these blocks. Make the pattern that you see on this card out of these blocks. Okay. Well, my brain physically cannot do that. Like I, I have a specific kind of learning challenge that is a difficulty discerning patterns and uh, a short-term memory has to deal with short-term memory. And I didn't know that's what it was until... I was in that setting. Right. But I have since developed the vocabulary when folks want me to do things that deal with patterns or do things that deal with a lot of schedules and I don't have the time or I'm not given the time to train myself. I, I, I can just say, look, I know what you want me to do. Yeah. I may even know what I want to do. But I can't, I know, I don't know how to tell you, my brain won't do it. Right. Um, And the funniest part of that story is the test probably should have taken four to six hours. Right. It took me, and I know this will surprise you, Rebecca, none. Uh, Mm -hmm. It took me like, seven to eight hours because I kept stopping and asking the 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 test giver questions. Yeah. Now I find this fascinating about myself. What does it mean that I can't do this? He's like, no, no, no. You're gonna ask me at the end of the test. Now I find this fascinating. What does this mean? No, no, no. <laughs> Mr. Hancock, we need you to just shut up and finish the test. <laughs> Yeah, just do the test first, and then you ask us questions at the end. But it's the it's the whole, it's what you said. We built society largely on this this dome or bubble of normality, and that if if somebody who is highly capable but cannot function within a very tightly defined framework. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there are a few notable examples of folks like that becoming geniuses. Mm. But, you know, that sort of is not, there's a reason that's notable because it's not the dominant narrative. Yeah, well, because you look at, um, you know, like it's it's all very cookie cutter and we can go into a whole spiel about capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) about that but um you know this very cookie cutter like you need you should be able to work this dolly parton nine to five you know 
or what is basically now really like eight to six, you know, kind of scenario. And it does not take into account anybody that deviates from that. Like um, when I was not living with y'all before I lived with y'all at one point I was working three jobs because I needed the money (laughs) and none of the jobs I was doing could pay you know so I was a cashier at Hobby Lobby I was a substitute teacher and I started working at an after-school daycare obviously that's that's a lot I mean and again it's one of those things of where they're all quote-unquote part-time but you shove that all together that's still three different jobs And I mean, I was at that daycare for two weeks (laughs) and in the second week, and I was watching sort of my mental health deteriorate throughout, but was not aware enough that second week I was reading a book to some some group of kids that I had. And by the way, this is not the kid's fault. The kids have been in school all day, having to follow rules, having to sit quietly, having to be, you know, forced in this space. They come to an after-school program. They don't want to. They don't want to sit. They don't want to follow rules. They want to be loud. They want to run around. They want to be kids because they've been relegated to this, you know, hyper-structured thing, and now they're being forced into another thing that has to have some kind of structure. They're like, no, no, no. I've been doing this for like eight hours already, lady. <laughs> but okay, so I recognize this. But I'm <laughs> sitting there, and these kids. I'm trying to read a story. They're not listening because they're children and they're loud. And (laughs) I'm reading and I, Justin, I had a breakdown. I just start crying. Like I can't stop crying. I had to go to the bathroom and I had to like call in and be like, someone else has to come in here because I'm like having a breakdown. And I had to quit that job, but it was like, they didn't really understand why I couldn't do it. I couldn't understand why I couldn't do it. And of course, then from then on, the kids for the next week that saw me were like, it's the lady that cried. And I'm like, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so sorry that yes. you had to witness me at 20 something sobbing in front of you. But like, by all, you know, by from the outside, everybody was like, I don't understand why this girl, I don't understand why this healthy looking 20 something year old yeah. woman is having a breakdown <laughs> shouldn't she be able to handle these kids for like two hours or whatever yeah not at all making any kind of accommodations for not i don't know like there so there's a lot of stuff like that like in all of these different aspects in every aspect there's no support system for stuff like that especially in mm-hmm. smaller businesses much less in larger ones you know um, no space for, uh, not, not being at your best or whatever, whatever that is, whatever they think that means. Yeah. Your best meaning, meaning, um, you know, the top performing, like must be always on the apex of physical and mental health. Yeah. We're just, we're not real good, um, I will say, in America, but I think in a much larger space, we're not really good at, in the West and maybe as humans, at understanding that um, 
when a person brings certain aspects of themselves to the table that don't fit into those pre-existing uh, categories mm -hmm. of exceptionalism that doesn't make them broken, that doesn't make them wrong, that doesn't make them damaged or defective. It just makes them who they are by the grace of God. I do think there are pockets of the world that are starting to realize that, but um, you know, if we can be a force for helping that message to go a little bit further out there, I think that's what we uh, we as humans are called to do. Well, and especially if you look at um, schools, I guess if you go back to like the myth of normality, like uh, you look at um, special ed classes or, um, oh, what's it called now? There's not, it's not, I don't think it's called special ed anymore. I think it's called something else, but there's like, classes for or groups in school public schools anyway for children who are different they diverge from what that is viewed as the mainstream which mm -hmm. if you look at kids mm -hmm. they're all <laughs> all kids yeah. are fucking wild but um like there's and obviously there are certain kids that need one-on-one -on -one attention but like you start there you have children that get separated from classrooms um, taken away from the main group of children, which we can go into the whole thing also about like the, the size of classrooms in public schools, which is insane. And so to expect like one teacher to handle like 22 five-year-olds, are you kidding me? Like that's yeah. two five-year-olds is a lot, <laughs> like much less yeah. 20 more. And then if you put in there like a child that um, has behavior issues or communication difficulties that can't seem to communicate with all this other stuff. But you look at that and how, like, what is, we don't even know how to um, actually accommodate in some cases and actually be helpful to these children that are different all the time or how to teach younger children who are lean more into the cookie cutter, I guess, that lean more into that, that lean in, that don't have those issues. We don't really teach them how to integrate children that are different than them or mm -hmm. how to show them that they are just as capable as you are, but maybe in different ways. It just looks different. They're what they're capable of and how that comes about is just different. And if they need help, then we help them. And sometimes they're going to help you with other things, whatever that thing yeah. is, either it's solving different problems or being emotional support for you or how you play a game or different ideas. It starts so early that we just kind of separate out, oh, you're, you're too different. And so mm -hmm. we're going to push you over here. But if you're different in the right way, you are gifted, whatever that right, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, um, and then <laughs> You know, so we're we're kind of trained very early on that you want to be normal, whatever that is. Then you become an adult and you're like, oh, no, I, I, I wasn't actually taught how to actually function. And society was not made to accommodate or be helpful for yeah. someone who's different.
So I think a good place to sort of wrap up this conversation, and it may sound simplistic, but we hope it's not. But when we say be kind or put a little kindness out in the world and be be a force for like kindness and openness, it's not simplistic. It's it's knowing that different people are out in the world and there are there may be people that look like they're getting along just fine that you're dealing with a whole host of issues and those people deserve kindness and even the folks that you know if you look at them and they don't look like they're dealing well at all deserve just as much kindness and just as much opportunity to access allyship as anybody else so yeah it just comes down to realizing that there are all different stripes in the world and that we, when we are at our best, we are um, seeking to welcome and uh, lift up as many people as possible. So there you have it, folks. I guess before we end, what could be a helpful word for people who either, who are struggling to try and be in the workforce or trying to be in a space where they are not the cookie cutter. They are not in the, what is something helpful for them? Because I mean, that is, you know, I know you have experienced it. You've watched people close to you experience it. What is something helpful that you could share before we go? Well, as I told a friend yesterday, I, uh, I said, if you got the job, trust there's a reason you got the job. You're gifted with the skills to do the job. And if you need help, that you'll be able to go to somebody and say, look, this is the help I need. If if we can figure this out, I can do the job and I can thrive. So... I guess the bigger point in that, as I framed it to my friend yesterday, is I think as persons with a disability or persons that are uh, maybe outside of that that uh, normality, we're taught to be on the back foot in a lot of those conversations. Mm-hmm. But if you go in on the front foot and you go into a situation where you're like, no, Let me tell you what I need. And if I tell you what I need and then you still feel like we can't work this out, that's fine. But I've at least expressed myself and I've at least told you what I need and told you how I can do the job well. So I I, I guess the the one thing, the takeaway there is take a deep breath and realize that you have every right to confidently ask for what you need to do the job as well as you can. That's great. Yeah. I, I don't know if that helps a lot of folks, but if it does, there it is, folks. I mean, it is definitely taking confidence for yourself because a lot of times the world is not gonna give that to you. So a lot of times you kind of have to 
know in yourself, I know what I need to do this job well. Yeah. And I think once you know that and you can voice it, you'll find the space and people that are going to listen and give you the chance that you deserve. Allow you to thrive. And if where you are right now is not allowing you to thrive, then, you know, you deserve to find find a place where you can thrive. So, well, friends, thanks for joining us today. And uh, thanks for um, tolerating what I said, or not tolerating, but enjoying what I think was a slightly deeper conversation, but hopefully with some some good takeaways and some good positive energy around it. Uh, and Rebecca, as always, thanks for the conversation, the friendship, and the chance to not think about how cold it is in Texas. <laughs> you know, anything for you, Justin. Anything for you. All right, friends. We will see you next time because this is Palsies with palsy, and I'm still the palsy. And I'm still the palsy. <laughs> Take care of yourself and do some good out in the world, guys. Thank y'all. Bye bye.